sonicjournal.tumblr.com, blog entry, isolated sound versus ambience. Thoughts on sound capture, binaural poetry recording with Adrian Mealing. I'm around five months into exploring immersive sound as part of my Arts Council funded DYCP project. And through capturing and experimenting with binaural recording, I'm beginning to reflect on my intention when looking to different types of sound. Over time, I've read about and worked alongside recording engineers who take very different approaches to recording, which can be loosely split into two main approaches, capturing everything in isolation and then working the elements into a mix in post, or capturing everything together, taking the time to plan how the sounds will naturally bleed and blend and interact in the recording space. I've experimented with and learnt to appreciate both of these approaches over the years and become aware of their value depending on the project and desired outcome. For example, the need for clean stems in a band recording to enable later remixing and manipulation, or isolated voiceovers recorded for a factual podcast or documentary film used for layering over unknown sound design or music at a later stage. Of course, these choices may be very different if the end outcome is more abstract and creative as opposed to being accurate and functional, say in the case of recording corporate panel discussion versus a nature soundscape piece. My experimentation with soundscape recording and the long-form recording of spaces with a direct relevance to a story or theme being explored is building in me in a real appreciation for the faithful capture of a location's ambience and how this can not simply hold a practical function such as that of the wild track, but bring to life the space where a story is unfolding and allowing in all of the space to complement this. Producing to factor in ambience when experienced by the listener, bringing space and proximity together. When thinking in terms of immersive audio outcomes, what does this actually mean? Of course, it can be many things, but to me, it is to be inside. Inside the space, inside the mind of the person talking or inside elements of a story being told. Any or all of these, alone or in combination, are fine, depending on the context. Shed talking. Putting ideas to the test. One project I've been working on this year is with a poet using the faithful representation of a space to embellish the spoken word in a story-specific context, bringing the listener into the space and close up to the voice, and capturing the ambience and the voice together. For this, I used a combination of a binaural stereo rig and a spot microphone with a tight polar pattern, like a boom microphone. Both microphones pick up a bit of everything in the space, but in different ways. The binaural rig records the fine detail of a almost 360 degree field around the dummy head within which the microphones are held, as if it was a person listening. Very fine detail, 
going way into the distance. And the spot mic picks up what is directly in front of it with great clarity, while rejecting much of what is outside of the, the concentrated pickup area. So there is ambient and isolated being captured in tandem. The result from this approach has been an open, natural sound that has a spatial feel to it, yet with a rich upfront voice and actually minimal post-processing, as you'll hear in the recording. This faithful capturing of the space, I feel, brings a closeness to the location and the spoken content for the listener, similar to being in the space when the words were being spoken, as was the case with myself and Adrian, which has been a really interesting thing to experiment with. When you listen to the piece, you'll hear birds, vehicles going past, lots of different sounds that weren't directly in the space where we were, and also hear the character of the space. So it's letting in these sounds, and it's also muffling and dealing with them in a, in a particular sort of way. Very easy to get rid of that sort of thing, or to think that you should get rid of that sort of thing. There was a time before my mind opened to the world of field recording when I would have done everything in my power as a recording engineer to try and remove the ambient background sound from a recording, aiming for that clean vocal or instrumental sound, thinking that it was the best way to record. But through really listening, I've come round to enjoy the life and character of a real sonic space as the space is often the life that's being captured, not just the words or the music that you're intending on recording. It is the vibe and it's the reality of the time and the place which I'm learning to cherish and sculpt rather than remove. And I have to say it feels good. So some final thoughts just for now. Capturing sound in an interesting space equals more focus of thought on listening. From a recording engineer point of view, careful mic choice and placement, and perhaps less thought on post-production and cleaning what shouldn't be there, because it's more of a holistic view of the audio capture, knowing that you will have a full array of sonics going on both close up and in the distant fields, and also being open to the idea that that's just fine and quite possibly will bring something special to the recording. Enjoy this piece entitled Unlocking by Adrian Meeling. Yeah, interesting guy. <laughs> Oh, you thought it was down there, didn't I you? I didn't. I didn't really know. Look, the old tin house. Oh, white shit. Ooh, the patina on that. Eh? And welcome to my shed room. Oh wow, yeah. It's. Uh, Usually, tend to wear a little cap in here because there's so many, so much cobwebbage. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, g- g- lower, but much. Just watch 
your nut over there. Yeah, yeah. the shed you know like like you do on a Tuesday afternoon do you, <laughs> do you want a hand are you okay no, I'm fine, all right <laughs> voice is off this shed because it's not the house it's other it doesn't get hoovered it hasn't got electric it did have once hasn't got it now it hasn't got taps in fact a cow used to live in here at night before the house was built when this was still a field before the war that would be the first one the great war someone's granny leant over the fence and told their family how they'd seen a cow. There was a cow in our garden, that's long before it ever was a garden. Inside this shed, a bike hangs from the beam. Free spirit, a kid's bike. Tom's 40, but when he was eight and definitely bigger than his tiny bike, it came to our boys. Free spirit, gears, brakes, wheels, yellow and red, everything, it's got everything. And that bike taught our kids to ride, did that bike. Inside this shed, festooned, it is with cobwebs, flies, daddy long legs, gossamer web catches, bathing in sunshine waiting by the grown-up bikes, waiting for its turn, waiting for the next generation to dust its down, dust itself down because it's filthy, oil it up, pump up the tyres, check it over, sort it out. A child throws their leg over it, plonks themselves on the saddle, clutches the handlebars. What do you do now? What happens next? You hold that saddle while they pedal while they start off until you launch them. Being honest, more like letting go. You let go of them. You might give them a little push. You might have to pick them up a couple of times, preferably on grass in the park. Avoid asphalt, if that's how you say asphalt. Concrete, no. As if by magic, at some point they tremble. They pedal, they face forward peering intently into the middle distance somewhere in front of them. What do they see? Their lives passing in front of them? No. They're so young, that would be a short reel. More likely, the approaching hedge with all those thorns. Great for puncturing footballs, for hiding stuff, but not for falling into. And the great trick is to turn corners, to steer. I look more at the bike these last few days because there's a new human being in the family, another mouth to feed, a bouncing baby to ooh and ah and ooh and ah and feed again and get the washing machine going and watch the washing going round, the dungarees, the dungs, 
ironing. Ironing is that a thing anymore? Ironing. Do we iron? It will be a couple of years or so before Dorothy has a go at the bike. She's very alert. She feeds on a regular basis. She whooshes and cries and feeds some more. And the longest, 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 longest that she ever sleeps is four hours. And it must be magic. It must be bliss when she kips for four, in hour, four hours. Imagine that. But she has no concept of cycling, of a bicycle for tiddlers. That is all to come. Talking. Walking. Knocking things over sitting in the wrong stuff, eating. All these have yet to be mastered, although she's well on the way with the eating thing, intake. There seems to be no hold-up, no barriers to progress there. I picture Dorothy flying on the bike. Helmet, don't forget your helmet. And hoping for her that she stays on, stays upright, manoeuvres those corners like an old hand, like someone who's been steering round corners for years, as I have. The other bikes, the big bikes, the grown-up bikes, they look on and they nod approvingly. The turning, the steering, the waving the smiling and laughing, and more turning until past dark, and back goes the old padlock, and the key goes in the wooden bowl, and the drawer closes, and the shed is locked up, and it is still, and peace resettles. Time stops. There is a cow mooing, and the roof needs fixing. It will wait. We all wait. Thank you.